Well, I'm here this morning to continue in our series on family matters. And over the last while, we've been looking at things that are of importance to the church family. And Helen, two weeks ago, walked the church through some of the complex parameters within which we identify ourselves, where we create our identity. And she looked at things like the fact that sometimes our identity is temporal, that we're looking back to what we were when we were young. Sometimes it's about what we're achieving at the moment, the present. Sometimes our identity is linked to what we want to become. And then very eloquently, she took us through a journey of philosophies and societies uh, historically and how people's identity was determined in those times and how that changed and how confusing it can sometimes be until she brought us eventually into this postmodern digital age that we're in where our identity is frequently defined by ever-changing language. You know, you, you say you're one thing one day and tomorrow that's politically incorrect and you have to be something else. And also by images uh, in this digital and, and creative stage of, of man's development that we're in. I, I sometimes wonder with some of these uh, internet influencers what they identify as, as the, the person that sits at home or the airbrushed figure that they see of themselves on the internet and how much pressure that places on people. Um, today, we are going to look at one of the characteristics of our identity according to God. We're looking at over the series, four simple truths about identity which God establishes. And Helen already addressed the issues of being, I am loved and I am chosen, and, and spoke powerfully, I believe, on those areas. Today I want to address the essential part of my identity which recognizes that I am a sinner saved by grace. And the statement that we're going to unpack today is that I am forgiven. And you are forgiven. And if we truly grasped that, we'd be jumping up and down and we could all go home because it's, it's an incredibly powerful story that we are forgiven. It is hard to stand firm and strong and step out with any confidence if we're unsure of the soundness of the platform that we're standing on. If we don't have a firm foundation, we wobble. And this is exacerbated and highlighted nowadays by the tendency and ability of people to ruthlessly cancel people for things that they may have said or written or done many years ago. We've seen many examples recently in the newspaper of people whose lives have been shattered and put into disarray by something that they said when they were 16 years old or something that they did when they were 16 years old. And that means that politicians and entertainers and sportsmen and media celebrities live in fear of some long-forgotten irresponsible joke or lack of judgment reappearing in their lives only to be judged summarily by a society which doesn't care to investigate whether there's been repentance and change, which doesn't look at context, but leaps on this as something that can destroy someone's character and cancel them completely. And I wrote the statement, while willful crimes and hurts of the past need to be accounted for, there's a ferocious appetite for vengeance for vengeance sake which leads to some people being emotionally devastated by an indiscretion of the youth. And that, in turn, impacts on our community because we have people not being prepared to step into positions of leadership, not putting themselves out there, not being able to establish relationships for fear of what might happen because of something that happened in the past. And it is a truth that if people have done things that are terrible in the past, that needs to be held accountable. But sometimes the things that destroy people's lives are really things which are forgivable and things which are no longer in their lives. This morning I'm here to encourage you that our God is countercultural, that he doesn't subscribe to the cancel culture. He doesn't subscribe to bringing your past back to slap you through the face and destroy your future. And so in Jesus Christ I can truly say that I am forgiven. 
before rejoicing in the fullness of the salvation and forgiveness, it's necessary to look at why we need to be forgiven in the first place. Way back in the beginning, God created mankind to be in fellowship with Him. We were created to be in a direct and intimate relationship with Him. It's something I go back to frequently because it's my hope for the future is that restoration of that intimacy with God. And mankind was created with a capacity to be innocent in the presence of God, to be righteous and in good standing in God's presence to the extent that God, and I, I, I read this often, God would come down in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve and to be face to face with them. And in this environment, he placed one expectation on them, that they would trust him and that they would believe him and that they would accept his truth. And he said to them, there's something I don't want you to do. If you trust me, if you believe me, you won't do that thing. Mankind sinned, did the thing that God didn't want, put their trust in someone else, in the enemy. And this thing called sin came into the world which brought separation and brought destruction into our lives. God began to work with mankind and gave every opportunity for us to try and redeem ourselves. We weren't able to do that. He gave us the law through Moses, which we weren't able to keep, and he knew we'd never be able to keep. And so, as was always his intention, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and rescue us. And Jesus did that simply by coming to the earth and living as a man with all the temptations that we have, with all the challenges that we have, with all the hurts and and fears that we need to deal with, and yet he lived sinlessly for his entire life. One of the things I say often is we thank Jesus so much for dying for us, we need to thank him for living for us, because he qualified to save us from our sins by living a sinless life, and in spite of that, he's put to death, and he dies, and in doing so, he pays the price for sin. As an innocent person dying, he pays the price for sin, the only person that could possibly do it, and we get the right to accept that forgiveness that has been bought for us. It's a forgiveness that is available to all who choose to accept it. I'd like you to just listen as I read to you from Acts chapter 13 and verses 38 and 39. It says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. To everyone who believes, there is a justification available, that we can be forgiven from our sins completely, and not just that, that we can be justified. To be justified in the Strong's Concordance says to be regarded as just or innocent, and Thayer's definition says to render righteous or as such as he ought to be, and I like that because we have the ability to be restored or the right to be restored through forgiveness to that relationship with God which was intended to be that that free and open relationship of love where we stood innocent before him, that can be restored through the forgiveness that's being offered to all of us. I need to note that this forgiveness is triggered by repentance. And I've put here in brackets, beware the arrogance of being a good man. You won't get forgiveness if you don't feel that you need forgiveness and if you don't ask for forgiveness. If you think that you're justified by your actions, if you think you're justified by something else in your life, you're not going to come to the point of actually getting the forgiveness that you need. And I use an example quite often about repentance, which some of you will have heard, especially those who come to the Foundations course, but it involves an incident with my daughter when she was little, before she was even at preschool. And she did something wrong one day, and Sandra taught her that if you did something wrong and you said you were sorry, that you would be forgiven, which is a good thing to teach your child when they're three or four years old. 
Um, a few days later, Sandra was in the kitchen, and she heard this little voice singing from Jessica's bedroom. Sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy. And fascinated by what was going on, she sort of crept down the passage and looked through a crack in the door to a scene of some devastation. Jessica had got hold of a container of talcum powder, and it looked like a winter wonderland in the room. She was sitting on the top of her compactum of drawers with this, throwing it over everything and herself, and as she was doing it, she was saying, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry. It's funny, but we do it all the time. We say we're sorry, but we keep on doing what we're doing. We think that it's a, a magic spell just to say sorry. There needs to be repentance. We become eligible for forgiveness when there's genuine repentance in our heart, when we acknowledge that we need forgiveness. And that's that warning that I had, the arrogance of a good man. It's a sadness that in times you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people and they say, but I don't need that. I've been a good person all my life. I've given to the poor. I'm a good husband. I'm a good person at work. Scripture says to us that everyone has sinned. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. There is only one way to obtain for forgiveness for our sins for eternity, and that is through Jesus Christ, the justification that comes in Him. It's important that we realize that this forgiveness is for everybody. It is free. It is freely available. But it has to be acknowledged and taken. I say to people, sometimes if someone's locked in jail and you go and say to them, I'm opening the door, and you unlock the door and you say, you're free to go, and they keep sitting on the seat, they're never going to be free. And if we sit with this wonderful offer of forgiveness before us <clears throat> from Jesus Christ, then we never say, I need that. If we aren't that person in the light that Helen was talking about this morning, waving at sea and saying, I'm drowning, we don't receive that. But when we do ask for that, the forgiveness is full and complete and given with such love and compassion by our Heavenly Father. But it's triggered by repentance. If we claim to be without sin, 1 John 1 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. This forgiveness is not just pouring something over the, the sin and covering it up. It's purifying us and presenting us before God in right standing, in righteousness, able to interact with Him in the way that He's always intended for us to be. And that can happen to us now. It's not something that only happens later. It happens now. So it's triggered by repentance. It is permanent is the next thing that I've written down. The price is fully paid. And I'm going to read a little uh, bit more of a scripture right now because it's important. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 19 to 28 says this. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the Lord to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly beings to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made of human hands. There was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven himself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. 
Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This refers to the ceremony which Moses initiated and with the high priest continued with, where annually blood would be shed and sprinkled in the holy place in the tabernacle in the, the temple that they traveled in for atonement for sin. And it was an annual thing that had to be renewed and sacrifices had to be done over and over again. The forgiveness that we have in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is permanent and complete. He has covered every sin. He has covered the sins that have been committed, and he has covered the sins that will be committed, and in its entirety he has taken that sin on his shoulders. God has held him responsible. God has allowed him to be punished, and the price is paid. It's permanent. It's not something that he has to do over and over again, and it's not something that we have to renew over and over again in the sense that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and when we give our lives to him and ask him in repentance to come into our lives and to fill them, the job is done. You are forgiven. I am I'm not going to be forgiven. I am forgiven. It's a done deal. It's complete and finished, and it's something that you can stand firmly on. It's not something that's going to come back and bite you later in God's kingdom. It radically changes our relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled himself to, through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He doesn't see us as patched up. This is something that's so important in my walk with God. He doesn't see me as a repaired being. I don't have panel beating done. I don't have a, a regeneration or a reconstruction. I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. When God looks at me, he sees something that he delights in. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. When God looks at me, he sees someone that he delights in. He sees me as being righteous. He sees me as being worthy of his love. He sees me as something that is precious. I'm the apple of his eye. Think about that. With all of my foibles and all of my weaknesses and all of my shortcomings, and I have many, as do you, he looks at us and he says, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly who I want you to be because of Jesus Christ. That is, just think about that for a moment. You're exactly who he wants you to be through Jesus Christ because he has forgiven you in its entirety. And because of this, we have a shield against the accusation of the enemy. In Revelation 12, verse 10, it says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. This forgiveness that we have is going to be challenged by the enemy. The Bible calls Satan the accuser. When we look at what's happening in the cancel culture that we have nowadays, what normally happens is someone gets raised up. We, we love to raise up heroes and then to chop them down. Isn't that sad? Whether it's in sports or politics or anything, we'll raise up a hero, and then when they get to that position, our nature says chop them down. And what will happen is somebody will find something to accuse them of, something they've said or done in the past, and there will be an accusation, and then there will be a response to that. 
Satan works as our accuser. He comes before those that we know. He comes to us, and the people that hear that voice most often is ourselves. He'll come and say, you are not worthy. How can I, I stand here this morning? How can I stand and preach to you? I know where I've messed up. There are plenty of things that I'd be deeply embarrassed about my history and my life if you found out about them. I've confessed them to God, but I don't walk in perfection. I'm a a fragile human being who has made mistakes, and yet I stand before you to tell you about the forgiveness of God because he sees me as righteous and forgiven, but the enemy doesn't. And I'll confess to you, every time I stand up to lead worship or I stand up to pray, I get really nervous. I get really aware of my own frailty, and I think, how can I do this? What if I mess up? What if they look at me and say, who does he think he is? And God will bring that restoration to us, but the enemy will come with the accusations. And it may be happening to you. There may be something that God is saying to you, do this, get involved, say this, speak to that person, be a testimony, share your testimony. And you might be thinking, I can't afford to do that. What if they see my feet of clay? What if they see my scars? What if they see my bruises? What if they see my shortcomings and my inadequacies, because the accuser will come. And this tells us that he's actually been defeated, and he's going to be hurled down. We are in a radical position with God that he shields us. If we, if we understand the forgiveness that we have, it shields us against the accuser. And a scripture which I hang on to for dear life, like a, like a log in a storm in a, in a raging river, is Romans 8 verses 1 to 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Somebody said to me once, how do do you know whether when something is bothering you about yourself, whether that's condemnation or not? How do you know when it's God? Because God will speak to us. It says those that he loves, he will chastise. He will guide us into new things. How do you know when the sense of something needing to happen or something that's not right in your life is from God or not? This is the the measure I take by it. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is condemnation? Condemnation says you're bad. You're not worthy. You have failed. You're canceled. You are no longer worthy. Sit in the corner feel bad about it, God is cross with you. God never, ever, 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 ever condemns his people. He does convict. What is conviction? Conviction says, let's do this to rectify where you're at. Come out of that place into this place that I've prepared for you. Step out. Don't hide in the corner. That's gone wrong, but come this way. There's always redemption. There's always growth. There's always progression in conviction that God brings into our lives. If we're doing something wrong, he needs to tell us, and he will, but it will be in the form of this is what you can do to put it right, and this is, in my love, the way that I will assist you. Condemnation says you're bad. If you are dealing with a sense of guilt and inadequacy that is pushing you into a corner and paralyzing you, that's not from God. And sometimes the more intense people are in their conviction of wanting to serve God, the more the accuser comes and pours condemnation on them and paralyzes them and stops them from doing what God wants to do because none of us, if we're pushed into a corner, are worthy of the things that God wants us to do. None of us are. And so if we're going to give way to this condemnation and guilt, it will pick up every little thing that you've done wrong and load it on you and push you in the corner and say, God is embarrassed by you. It'll stop us from God's will. It's not from him. There is therefore now 
No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think this is incredibly important. If there's one thing that you take home today, don't let the devil condemn you. Don't let the accuser stop you. Don't let him tell you that you're not worthy of what God has got planned in your life. The other thing that this forgiveness does, it removes our sins and doesn't throw them back at us. Psalm 103 verse 11 and 12 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. And you know, the Bible isn't random in the words that it uses. It doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. You can actually travel from north to south. It's a defined distance. How far is it from east to west? It just keeps going. He has thrown our transgressions away. There is no website in heaven that's going to trap you one day. There is no social media platform in the kingdom of God that's going to throw up your old sins before God and heaven's going to go aghast. They shouldn't be here. The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. God takes your sin and he throws it away as far as the east is from the west. I heard someone give an illustration once. They said that they dreamt one night that they went to heaven and they stood in the throne room of God. And they stood before God saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for my weakness. I'm so sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry for that thing that I did last week. And God looked at them and said, I don't know what you're talking about. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. I am forgiven. I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and I am forgiven. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and so are you. And that is an incredibly firm place to be. It's not built on your, if we had to build our own platform of safety in our achievements and our abilities, we would spend our lives doubting that. But you can stand firmly on the fact that God has given you a new life, justified you through Jesus Christ, justified into right standing with him. And that is a complete job that's been done already and you're good to go. You're good to serve him. You're good to walk in his confidence and share your testimony with him. Now there's a couple of things I just want to put before put before you before I finish up this today, and that is when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray that you will be forgiven your trespasses as you forgive those that trespass against you. If I'm forgiven, I should forgive. The Bible says, given shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Whatever I give out, God is faithful to give back. And I can't expect to please my Father if he forgives me and I look at you and I can't forgive you for what you've done. It needs to be the fruit of that forgiveness needs to be forgiveness to one another. Also, I need to say this, and this is a reality. I am forgiven by God for everything that I have sinned. But the earth carries consequences for behavior that's not acceptable. If, as would never happen, if Ant comes over and he punches me on the nose, and I say, Ant, I forgive you, I'm still going to have a sore nose. And therefore, Paul says... We live by grace, but because of grace, we live righteous lives as best we can. We, we don't say, I have freedom to sin because of the forgiveness I have. We are bound by love to serve God. But my foundation, my safety, my place of strength is a place of standing before God saying, I've acknowledged my sin, I've acknowledged my need, and I'm saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. I am forgiven. Now, I hope that's been encouraging to you. 
But you might be sitting there saying, well, I don't know that I'm forgiven because I don't know that I've ever received that. And Helen spoke to you at the beginning of the service and said that there was an opportunity to bring that before God. I want to just renew that call and say that if you don't feel, if you don't know, it's not feeling, if you don't know the assurance of the forgiveness of God because of Jesus Christ, you needn't walk out here this morning without finding that out. You needn't walk out here without having that change. Let's just pray together, and if you want to acknowledge God in your life, you can pray this inside your heart. Father, I thank you that I'm forgiven because of Jesus. I acknowledge my sin, I repent of my sin, and I ask you to take my life and make it brand new. I thank you that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the one and only and the only necessary forgive, uh, um, sacrifice that we need for forgiveness. And I give my life to him now. Amen. If you have prayed that now, or if you prayed with Helen earlier on, please don't go home without talking to one of us so we can reassure you and uh, put our arms around you, as it were, and give you a place of support. But there is not a single person sitting here this morning that needs to go home today without knowing the full forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the confidence that that can give us to go forward. Amen.